The Pace Line is produced by The Cycling Independent, the only cycling media completely free of commercial influence. We are community-supported and dedicated to the whole of cycling. As our tagline says, if you ride bikes, you're one of us. From the Cycling Independent, this is The Pace Line, the podcast on two wheels. I'm Patrick Brady, and with me is my co-host, John Robot Lewis. Each week, we take a look at how cycling fits in our lives. I don't think I'm ever really going to standardize what I call you. <laughs> no. Philosophically, no. that seems wise. Yeah, my name, you know, I've said this before. My name is John Lewis, which is like having not having a name. It's like the name they put on the credit card on the commercial, you know, so (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) Hello, template. How are you today? I'm great. Thanks. (laughs) Oh, well, uh, uh, Mr. No Name, um, how are we doing? Doing pretty well. It's hot here today and it feels like. It's September 15th. It feels like the last hot day. Mm. And so is and, that a and, hurrah or is that a good riddance? Um, for me, that's a good riddance. For me, that's a good riddance. <laughs> right, because you I, like the cold. Uh, I do love the cold. I love everything about it. So um, I am ready for it. And it's super humid again today. It's been a very bizarre wet, humid summer, but I'm um, very glad for it. Mm. Wow. The, yeah. the, tra- the transition to fall has me thinking a lot more about my mountain bike. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've been riding mostly gravel bikes uh, for whatever reason. I should say gravel bike. I only have one. Um, what, uh, wh- what bike are you riding the most lately? Um, my Bishop, honestly, my Bishop road bike, that's what I've been spending more time on than anything else. Part of that is because the review that I did on the coefficient RR bar, um, once I had that all set up, I really needed to get some solid time on it. And there was, you know, there was a little fussing around with lever position and bar roll and that sort of thing. And I got all that dialed and it's like, golly, this feels really good. (laughs) (laughs) there's also the fact that and this will probably become a a pull at some point i've got something up with me physically um and we don't know what um uh, one of my recent pastimes has been uh pin cushion um They've drawn uh, enough blood to at least make for one nasty scene in a movie. Um, Mm -hmm. uh, I get on the bike and I'm fatigued. Uh, There's there's like no real punch. And like, say, Saturday, I went out for a three hour ride. First two hours were just fine. Kind of, you know, not too quick, like low tempo. Um, And the third hour, I fell apart. I mean, we're talking like the highest my heart rate got was maybe into the 140s for a minute or two. Mm. Um, you know, and then, yeah, the third hour I was on fumes getting home. So 
Uh, I have not been mountain biking much because of that, because if you mountain bike here, uh, it's a little bit like having a workout on ladders or something. Um, mm. so, uh, it's been nice to have, you know, a road bike that I'm really excited about being on because doing flat, easy rides is all that my body seems to be interested in currently. Um, so we're, we're at odds, I'd say. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So. Hmm. Well, I hope as you figure that out, you'll share that with us. I hope I figure it out. I mean, <laughs> that yeah. would be a good start. Yeah, I'd be, yeah. I'd be happy to share it if I figure it out. Uh, right. I mean, like, I, you know, I emailed my doctor yesterday. It's like a little update. And my doctor's a writer. Um, I, like, I've taken him mountain biking before in my little secret stash. Good yeah. dude. He understands. And, you know, to type an email to your doctor and say, yeah, three hours on Saturday, fell apart in the third hour, was planning two and a half hours Sunday, cut it to two because the second hour fell apart. I, I mean, I don't like sending right. an email like that. It, it, <laughs> yeah. You know? But I mean, no, I can having fallen apart a bunch this summer for various reasons. <laughs> I know like how concerning it is and what a bummer it is. Well, and then there's the frustration of, you know, you're waiting for that one thing to come through in a blood test and go, aha, my thyroid is man on paper. Everything about me for a guy who's had his 50th birthday, everything about me is just dynamite on paper. Right. Right, in person, right. less so. Um, my ex-wife might also disagree with that whole... It, ne, moving right along. <laughs> moving uh, along. <laughs> what are you pulling on today? So this week, I want to talk about the new Dura-Ace and Ultegra 12-speed groups hitting the market. Not that they're really hitting the market. Uh, <laughs> they've, been, they've been released, I, I guess. Announced. Let's call it or announced. announced. Yeah, announced. I was actually... Yeah, they've been announced. I'm sorry. So that's not fair to Shimano to say they've been released when they haven't. They they've been announced. I was talking, I was talking to a client of mine uh, the other day, and if I say client, you can in, you can just substitute friend because I don't work with anyone I don't that I'm not <laughs> friends with really. But um, I was talking to this guy the other day about how hard it is to put a complete bike together these days. And we decided that bike industry 2021 is like a massive game of go fish in which pretty much everyone is just fishing. That's just, there's no actual Sad, carts. True. Yeah, there's yeah. no actual carts. There's just fishing. Anyway, sorry. Uh, that's, that's not news and maybe not worth discussing right now. What I want to say about the new Shimano groups is that they're, the two high-end groups are electronic only. Yeah. And it, and it bumps me out. Uh, mm. we, we seem to have crossed the Rubicon the Delaware, the Maginot line. I don't know which, whichever one uh, appeals this to you. This one seems a and, little more uh, defensible than the Maginot. I, just that, <laughs> that's a little esoteric. I apologize. Yeah. Yeah. I, and I'm confused about this. Look, the, the electronic groups I've ridden have all been great. I have no doubt these are going to be great too. I assume Shimano made this move because they were selling so few mechanical build kits anymore that it stopped making sense to them. I can tell you from having sold custom bikes for most of a decade that the complexity of selling multiple group O's in multiple configurations, like, oh, did you want mechanical Ultegra or did you want 
electronic Ultegra and then which derailleur with the... And so that took a lot of time and nuanced conversation that took focus off the bike, uh, you know, like the frame and the craftsmanship, et cetera. So I appreciate if this is a drive towards simplification, um, although that would be kind of a modest gain. I just wonder if we're slowly, maybe even not slowly, losing the essence of what the bicycle is. You know, is it... To me, the bicycle is a brilliant mechanical amplif- amplification of, of human effort. Mm-hmm. But as we slip into electronics and motorization, I, I just wonder about that anymore. And I, I'm cheating right now. I'm conflating electronic shifting with e-bikes there, which is a cheap rhetorical maneuver. But you get my point. <laughs> we're, we're bringing all this technology to the bike. Um, and I just wonder if anyone wants to shift or pedal anymore. <laughs> eh, um <laughs> overrated <laughs> i you know i mean anybody who's buying dura ace they still like they still like pedaling they still like going hard you're not buying dura ace that's if right. you're wondering where the thumb button is um so we can dispense with that one I, you know i had <laughs> so I received the press release uh, from Shimano's PR agency uh, announcing all this stuff and, you know, oh, 12 speeds and oh, this and, you know, all very cool. But, you know, other than a brief email and the materials that were sent, I was left to discern in looking through those materials that, my, they haven't discussed any mechanical derailers. They've only discussed DI2. And so I was left to infer until I saw some work from uh, colleagues, you know, some days later. uh, I had to infer that, oh, we no longer have mechanical shifting. Okay, this is this is the group. You know, at a certain level, I kind of understand we were going to reach this point at some point, right? It seems sort of inevitable that at some point they were going to do this. You know, there's the fact that you have to tool up for those mechanical derailers. And so this was, at a certain level, a a cost-saving measure for them in tooling up. Given the way it can be tough to get uh, some groups, you know, you go to, say, uh, you know, Trex, uh, Trex website. And, you know, in a Madone, you can get it with Altegra, mechanical, Altegra DI2, Durace mechanical, Durace DI2. There, there are all these different configurations. Part of that is a supply issue. Okay. Uh, you know, maybe you're going to have to wait three months in a normal market when there's not a pandemic and things aren't allocated, uh, you know, unto the sun. Um, Having that variety was always really helpful for uh, product managers and uh, and the sales staff and also for bike shops. You know, it it was a whole lot easier to keep uh, keep product in the pipeline. Um, It was a lot easier to just have something, you know, in a general price range uh, for your clientele. So I saw that as all good. I, you know, I look at my bishop, which has Dura Ace on it, and I realize that's the last Dura Ace group I'm ever going to put on that bike. 
I right because it's because I'm not going to send it. I'm not going to send it to Joe Bell to have him strip the paint off, pull the brazons off, drill yeah, some yeah. holes. Yeah. Yep. You know, and then do another. I mean, dude, that paint job was sure four figures. Um, I'm I'm not going to drop that on that paint job a second time. Um, so that really it bums me out. Um, it's a it's a real uh, disappointment to see that go away on a personal basis. <sighs> the weirdest thing of all is, and I mean, I get you know the the design cycle for for those Shimano Road Groups is generally five years. Um, they squoshed things a little bit by announcing both Durace and Altegra at the same time. They don't normally do that. Altegra yeah. is usually about a year behind, uh, maybe a little more. Uh, sometimes you'll see an innovation in Altegra that wasn't quite ready for a Durace. And so Durace, you know, lags a few years behind and then finally gets that new upgrade, whatever it was. This time they all, they announced the both of them together. And uh, it's... It's amazing to me that we are eliminating uh, mechanical drivetrains when right now people are scrambling to get anything at all. But I get that mm. that's probably rooted in the fact that they had decided four years yeah, ago, if looking. not five yeah. years ago, that they weren't going to do this. So they couldn't really anticipate the pandemic. But golly, it seems like lousy timing. Um, it does. I, you know, it did. It's not it, a it criticism. Hit me sideways. Yeah, they didn't have a crystal ball. I'm, I don't fault them for that. It just really kind of stinks from that level. Um, how excited so, are you about a 12th cog? Not at all. I don't care. Um, <laughs> <laughs> now, did you ask that question? <laughs> I I in I did not know I didn't maybe infer your tone properly. Are you excited about a twelfth cog? Not so much. I mean, it's nice. Right. Don't get me wrong. It's nice. Um, the the real advantage there, uh, as has pretty much always been the case, is that when you add a cog, it becomes a little easier to widen the cassette range. Um, they still only start with an eleven cool but now you know in durace they offer a 34 um mm. so it's a very wide range cassette which is a nice thing uh stunningly they now offer a 5440 choice uh on the crank because pros you know go like 55 miles an hour uh for <laughs> intervals um i mean a 54 good grief uh, 5411. That's a big, 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 big gear. <laughs> There's a lot of inches there. Yeah. Let me, let me ask you a stupid question. <laughs> You're saying, I don't believe it will do you be, ask but, other kinds? Well, <laughs> I don't ever think any of your questions are stupid. Sometimes they're really uh, comical, but let's find out. Yeah. So there was a time you look at all these groups you know, uh, Dura-Ace, Ultegra, 105, on down. Mm -hmm. Right? Yep. And you can sort of eyeball the points of differentiation, right? They tend to get heavier as they go down. Um, sometimes materials, I mean, that's usually driven by materials and, mm -hmm. you know, maybe some little design things. 
But as we go to, um, you know, electronic, uh, so you have two electronic 12-speed groups. Yep. Um, the, the pro of electronic is that it's accurate. Uh, it's quick. It's accurate. Uh, it's self-trimming, right? So you're not constantly mm-hmm. having to adjust it. So you've got those three things going for it. What's, what do you think the point of having Dura-Ace and Altegra even is? Oh, oh, well, I mean, once you look at the differentiation and pricing, it's big enough that, you know, you you look at it, an awful lot of intelligent people are going to go, let's see, I can save a thousand fifteen hundred dollars by buying a bike that's three quarters of a pound heavier. Yeah, I'm going to do that. There are those folks yeah. out there who are only going to buy Durace because it's Durace. But there are an awful lot of people who are going to go, wait, I'm going to get 90 percent. 95% of the functionality for a bike that weighs whatever three quarters of a pound more. And I get to save how much money? Is it three quarters of a pound? I, I don't actually know. I haven't weighed. Cause I don't think it's look- that much. <laughs> I don't think it's that much. And so my point is, okay. Yeah. There's people always going to be people who buy the most expensive thing because they buy the most expensive thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and let's give them a little credit. They always buy the nicest thing, let's say. Um, But from Shimano's point of view, they could save a lot of money by having one group that does this thing that is really defined by speed, accuracy, and whatever. Okay. Well, but let's ask the question. Say say you're David Lawrence, who's the head of road groups for Shimano. Which of those Mm. are you going to eliminate? Um, well, I'm going to, I'm going to eliminate them both and create a new thing. If I'm him, that is this, the one thing that you want, if you want that thing, do you know what I'm just saying? No. <laughs> so I kill Ultegra and I c- kill Durace and I make Duregra or Ultra Ace or whatever, which is our high end 12 speed electronic group. Yeah, and so I'm only I, promoting one thing. I'm only manufacturing one thing. And, you know, maybe it, it splits the price difference. Um, so I've both simplified my manufacturing and increased my margin. I mean, this is thinking as a project uh, product manager. I just think if I'm a smart rider, and maybe I'm not, Maybe I'm not a smart consumer of these things. I just don't see the differentiation that you that I saw five, ten years ago when they would release a new mechanical version of each of those groups. Mm-hmm. The, mm-hmm. Then the 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 differentiators um, were uh, more clear to me, both in mm-hmm. terms of weight, look, materials, etc. And now I sort of feel like. The electronics eliminates the challenge, the, some of the material and design challenges that they used to differentiate the two things before. So what are these two things? Well, okay, so here's an opportunity I see to push back against some consumer cynicism that I sometimes see. I'm not going to say everybody out there thinks this way, but I certainly see it in social media. You know, the, that mindset of, oh, they're just trying to ram some new thing down our throats that we don't need. Um, mm. 
You know, I mean, I know a number of people who work for Shimano um, and they love their jobs. Uh, I hope I'm not speaking out of turn by saying to a person, they're all a little frustrated with the Shimano bureaucracy. It's a little bit like working for a government, getting new stuff pushed through that isn't part of the overall plan can be a real challenge, but they believe in their mission. And, you know, that mission is to make, make the best bike parts they can at a given price point. And Durace is a chance, you know, your employer has charged you with go make the greatest road set that you can possibly make. Go do your very best work. Who doesn't want a chance to go kick butt like that? Um, and then, you know, you've got this other mandate of, okay, now give us as much of that as you can, but at a price point that's, you know, whatever, 80% or 75%. I don't know what the split is, but do as much of that as you can, but let's tone down the materials some, uh, let's bring the cost in a little lower. Yeah. We're okay with gaining some weight, you know, do what you can there. Um, those are two fundamentally different missions and I respect Shimano for continuing to pursue both those missions. I buy that. I buy that. I think my argument to the cons- the cynical consumer who says they're just trying to cram cram new things in that we don't need. My my I would say to that consumer, you don't need any of this. At this end of the market, <laughs> this is all luxury. These are all luxury things that you're choosing. It's okay. It's okay that you choose them, but it's also okay that you not choose them. It's fine. Mm-hmm. You know, like if you already own a high-end bicycle, that's awesome. Ride that. No one is making you upgrade or change or do whatever. Um, so if you start from that cynical position, like they're making me do this thing I don't want to do. I mean, come on. <laughs> you know, like. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. So that's, yep. that's all, all fine and good. I'm, and I don't, I'm not, I don't know why this bummed me out. This, this sort of abandonment of mechanical systems uh, bummed me out. I get it. I think the electronic systems are really good and people want them. Um, but I thought it was worth discussing anyway. I mean, I have, I have the same sort of emotional, oh, wait, no, not yet. Um, somebody pulled the plug on the bathwater, you know, it's like, I'm still floating around in the bathtub. I didn't, I didn't want to let the water out yet. Right. It'll be fine. You know, it will. I've got a great, I've got a great road bike. (laughs) It's, you know, it'll be fine. Um, there are some really neat things in those groups though. Uh, so once we have a chance to actually ride them, you know, we'll tune back in and talk about that. Yeah. Maybe I was just, maybe going back to my comments about the industry being one big game of go fish, just (laughs) announcing new product at a time when you can't get the product that you need is what really rankled. Maybe I'm just displacing my frustrations, but anyway, what's your poll for this week? (laughs) Well, we're going to take a quick break and then we will be right back and I'll discuss my poll. The Pace Line is brought to you by The Cycling Independent. We are the only online cycling publication that's entirely reader-supported 
with absolutely no advertiser, sponsor, or investor commitments influencing our editorial. We don't have a sales team or middle management. It's just the three founders and a collection of talented and committed contributors who independently produce our content. To maintain our commitment to honest, reader-focused editorial with the best writers in the business, we need your help. Every dollar that comes in goes directly toward creating the content you see. A subscription is cheap, easy, and it goes a heck of a long way. Just go to cyclingindependent.com, click on support TCI, and choose your level. Thanks for listening. Okay, we're back with the pace line, the podcast on two wheels. Uh, now it actually is time for your pull. What do you got this week? So a few weeks back, one of the U.S. largest independent retailers, Mike's Bikes, here in Northern California, announced they were selling their 12-store chain to Pond Group, a Dutch holding company that owns a number of bike companies, including Santa Cruz, Cervelo, Gazelle, and the BBB parts and accessories line. At first blush, it seems like a neat move. Just one little, okay, well, major problem. Specialized. Specialized has been Mike's biggest supplier for probably 20 years. I don't know, maybe even longer. <sighs> no sooner was the ink dry on the sales agreement than Specialized severed all ties with Mike's, up to and including stripping them of their ability to service warranties. Again, Mike's has 12 locations. They stretch from San Jose in the south to Petaluma here in the North Bay and all the way over to Folsom, which is wet, uh, sorry, east of Sacramento. They are so big that you can't call them a Bay Area retailer. They are a Northern California retailer. And their single biggest supplier just said, thanks, we've had enough. Um, so in looking at comments on social media, the one refrain that I've heard uh, or read any number of people say has been the word petulant, um, which is not really a good look for specialized. Um, I can't make sense of this one way or another. So I got in touch with uh, my friend here in the uh, here in the industry, Rick Vosper, to help make sense of them. Uh, Rick is a former uh, marketing director for Specialized. So he has some familiarity with how uh, the upper brass at Specialized think. So Rick Vosper, man, thank you. Uh, for our listeners who aren't familiar with your name, uh, I reached out to you because, well, for starters, you're uh, quite the bike industry veteran. You've been what in the industry since the 1980s? Yes. My first job was lifting boxes in the specialized warehouse began in June of 1980. And you went on to be their marketing director. And you've well, also about been 20 years later. Well, <laughs> you know, what's a, what's a few weeks to a friend. Uh, <laughs> and in addition to that, You've got other knowledge of this situation, or at least some perspective of it, in that you were uh, the marketing director for Cervelo, another pawn company as well. And for those really interested in your erudite judgment, we'll call it, uh, you've got 
a column in Bicycle Retailer and Industry News, something I certainly enjoy reading uh, on a frequent basis. So, okay. Uh, Mike's Bikes announces that they've sold the company to uh, pawn the holding company for Gazelle, Cervelo, Santa Cruz, and a bunch of other brands. And almost before the ink was dry, we've got Specialized announcing that they've severed the entire relationship with Mike's. They're not even going to allow Mike's to uh, honor sales for uh, bikes that people had paid deposits on. And they really won't even allow them to uh, service warranties. It's all the marbles going home. This, this absolutely defies my comprehension. What the hell are they up to? <laughs> um, well, a lot of people in the bike business have been asking this question over the last week. <laughs> and there's a there's a lot of background behind this and we can dig down layer by layer. And when you get bored of your eyes glaze over, um, tell me, gee, that's enough, Rick. <laughs> but what's happened here is Mike's bike is one of the very best specialized dealers in the country in terms of uh, both the uh, quality of sales and the the length, length of the relationship. Mm-hmm. Yep. It is almost impossible to understand how Specialized could not know that Mike's was for sale. Well, they did know uh, because they had talked to them. They had talked to Trek as well. No one will say specifically who all they talked to, but uh, given the one sort of formal statement, uh, Matt Adams, the president of Mike's made to me, it's clear that they talked to, uh, in addition to Pond, they talked to Specialized and Trek. So they knew that this was in play. Absolutely. They had to know. There was no way they could not know. Right. Um, when I was at Specialized, uh, Mike's had a seat on the Specialized Dealer Advisory Board and they get together every quarter and say, here's what's going on in business. So it is very likely that Specialized simply got outbid by Pawn. Um, now, Specialized is more than a billion-dollar company, but Pawn is like 10x what Specialized is. Right, because they're so in industries aside from just bikes. They, they've got automotive stuff. They uh, don't just have automotive stuff. <laughs> Pawn has a portfolio of brand licenses to distribute in the Benelux markets. They distribute Volkswagen, Audi, Skoda, Lamborghini, Bentley, Bugatti, and Porsche. These guys do not mess around. <laughs> that seems fair to say. Okay. And when Pawn decided that part of being in the transportation business was being in the bike business, they scooped up a bunch of uh, European brands. Uh, uh, you mentioned Gazella, uh, but also uh, uh, but also Focus, which is well distributed in the United States and has a complete line of bikes going from you know, regular folk bikes all the way up to, uh, you know, Tour de France level bikes. Right. And of course, at the Tour de France level, they've got Cervelo, sort of the jewel in the crown. Yeah. So what I what I think happened is Mike Sinyard at Specialized looked at this and said, OK, in the long term, 
they claim they're going to enter, they're going to honor our brand agreements. They're going to continue to have specialized as a focal point for the store, but realistically, we just don't see this happening. Mm-hmm. So, in typical specialized fashion, they wanted to disrupt the competition and make it harder for them to continue doing business. If you think about it from Mike Sinyard's point of view, if they play nice and go along with the pawn acquisition of Mike's bikes uh, and have specialized in there, it's just the thin end of the wedge. And over time, those other brands will become more important and specialized will become less important. Now, you got to remember, this is happening in, in specialized backyard. It's in the Bay Area. Mm-hmm. And Mike's is the number one shop for specialized in the Bay Area. And it's one of the top shops for specialized in the country. Remember, uh, Mike's has a whole 12-store chain, and they're all over from uh, the North Bay all the way down into uh, Morgan Hill, I believe they have a store now. Mm. Yeah. Uh, I mean, as I noted earlier, they're so big you can't call them a Bay Area chain because they've got a location in Folsom, which is on the east side of Sacramento. They are Northern Mm -hmm. California. Now, when I spoke to Matt Adams, he indicated that one of the things they were looking hard at was the fact that they they've built uh, a collection of shops that service a number of different brands. Uh, It used to be 18. Now it's 17. But I mean, you know, Santa Cruz, BMC, Salsa, Yuba City, uh, City and Cargo Bikes, Comotion Tandems, Public. I mean, they've got so many different brands and Uh, they do. And they, they own the public brand outright. Right. So one of the things that they were concerned about was the possibility that if they were if they were acquired by one of their vendors that suddenly all these other brands would go by the wayside and that the, the flavor of what Mike's bikes has been would be lost in that. Whereas when they looked at Pawn, there was no pressure from Pawn to suddenly start carrying Cervelo. On the other hand, I've, I've worked with Pawn and believe me, there will be pressure for them to start carrying Cervelo at some point. Hmm. But uh, Pond is a very incremental player. They do their homework before they come to class. uh, And uh, they're going to be very thoughtful and methodical about how they introduce change into the Mike's environment. Mm -hmm. Now, of course, specialized response of yanking the entire line, taking up, picking up their marbles and going home means they have to think fast And one of the questions is, there are four top bike brands in the United States in order of size. They are Trek, Specialized, Giant, and uh, Cannondale. Mm -hmm. More than half the bike shops in the United States have one or more of these four brands on their floor. Yep. And to be seen as a market-leading bike shop, you pretty much have to have at least one and preferably two of those four. Mm -hmm. So... Trek was a possibility. Trek courted them, tried to buy them, which would have been an absolute dagger in the heart of Specialized. Yeah. Uh, so Trek's not going to play. Uh, Specialized is, is no longer playing. That leaves you with Giant and uh, Cannondale. And you better believe that uh, John Thompson at, at Giant would love to be in all those Mike's stores. Right. 
I figure that phone call has already been made. (laughs) (laughs) I think you're absolutely right. But uh, now the question is, does Giant then become the big name brand in those stores or is it merely a sort of caretaker uh, until they can bring over the entire focus line or they can bring in more Gazella e-bikes or they can work to differentiate the product that way? Pond is a very methodical, thoughtful, slow-paced, incremental kind of player. Mm -hmm. So we may be seeing some giant bikes, maybe even some Cannondale bikes on the floor there. Mm -hmm. But in five years, I doubt it. Okay, so there are two pieces of this. One is by pulling out so quickly, you eliminate the ability for existing specialized owners who bought bikes from Mike's to be serviced by them in the event of any sort of warranty issue. Uh, that I can't see any rational, uh, any rational thinking behind that. I mean, how do you get there? Similarly, you've got a number of consumers who had bikes on order and these were orders that were placed against, uh, allocations that Mike's knew they had coming. So they knew these bikes were in the pipeline and they sold against those taking, deposits from uh from customers and now those customers are going to receive refunds or they can move that money to uh another bike within their line but you got to figure if they want to specialize they're going to get a refund and have to go find that elsewhere and frankly i mean there are four dozen retailers dealing with specialized in the bay area but the vast majority of them uh aren't doing like any of the s-works bikes why would they do this? I still don't get it. Well, I think the name of the game at the end of the day is customers. And what Specialized wants to do is, to the extent that they can, they want to take away Mike's ability to retain Specialized customers. So if you're a Specialized owner and you need to get your bike warranted for whatever reason, you not only won't go into Mike's, but you can't go into Mike's. You go into one of the other, you know, several dozen specialized dealers in the Bay Area. If you had your heart set on a new specialized Roubaix, so much so that you put your deposit in and are willing to wait more than a year, you're going to have to take that business elsewhere. Okay. There is no way Mike's is going to be able to talk you off that specialized bike if that's what you had your heart set on. So that customer is going to take his business elsewhere. There are an awful lot of people out there who are still going to want a traditional brick and mortar relationship. And I don't think there's any way for Specialized to leverage the existing dealers they have just in the Bay Area alone to make up what they've lost in terms of uh, the impact and reach that Mike's has. So... I don't see specialized opening, say, a dozen concept stores in the next 365 days. Um, I do know that specialized has done web only product introductions, stuff that you can only get by buying it online. Do you think that they've got a viable model for moving all of that business online? Um, Short answer, no. Uh, the the longer slightly longer answer is that all the major players 
uh, certainly in the top 10 bike brands in the United States, all sell product all online. And the dirty little secret is they don't sell nearly as much of it as they would like you to believe. Right. So the notion that Specialized can win back all the business they formerly enjoyed with Mike's just through online transactions, that's that's not even PR. That's a pipe dream. Now, naturally, they're going to want to invite those customers uh, to to purchase their specialized bikes online. But in terms of it being, you know, they're going to be reclaim reclaim 50 percent of their business or some large portion of the business. That's just not reality. They know they're going to take a hit on sales this way. They must be thinking that they have some sort of strategy, but at some point they're going to come up short on what they want their sales to be because they lack that retailer. Isn't this a really risky position for the sales staff at Specialized to be in? It's certainly a tough position for the sales staff (laughs) to be in. It's the say you could ask the same question of specialized, you know, what alternative did they have? They could stayed and played nice with mics and eventually found themselves being edged out or they can make the first cut the deepest and uh, remove themselves from the picture entirely and use the ensuing chaos to try to reclaim as much of the business as they can. Mm-hmm. Now, mm-hmm. you're right. They, they can't just plug the S-Works line into all these shops that had formerly sold you know, the, the lower end of the specialized line, which is still very nice bikes and very, very well priced. Mm-hmm. But that's got to come from someplace. And it may take years to recover that market share that, that Mike's had formerly afforded specialized. That's just reality. The <laughs> idea that there's going to be a quick fix and in a year or two years or five years, it's going to be back to business as usual. That's just not reality. It ain't going to happen. And, you know, the people at Specialized are not dumb. They know this. So they're going to make their best moves if they can. And ultimately, they're going to be seeding much of Northern California as, as their home base for a very long period of time. Rick, it's always a pleasure speaking with you. I really appreciate the time. Uh, I'm a little less confused now, but I, I'm still scratching my head some. But man, thank you so much. <laughs> oh, thanks for having me on. I'd love to do it again sometime. Again, that was Rick Vosper, an industry consultant and former marketing director for Specialized. Uh, John, I'll just ask you, I mean, you've you've worked for a bike company that had to deal with uh, being in Specialized shadow, shall we say. Hmm. What sort of opportunity do you think this is uh, for other bike lines? I mean... Do you think there's anybody who hasn't called Mike's yet saying, hey, we'll sell you bikes? Well, my perspective on this, this actually goes back. So I, as listeners may or may not know, I worked in the custom end of the business. So typically the bikes I sold would be one among many in a store and certainly not the primary breadwinner for the store. I mean, some studios, yes, we were the main thing and we worked very closely with those people and we could not so much dictate terms, but we had more influence over how they operated uh, around bike sales um, than in any other shop. But one of the um, themes that I came, how, how should I say this? I worked with a number of Northern California retailers 
Mm-hmm. And some of them were on the specialized side of the spectrum and some were on the Trek side of the spectrum. Mm-hmm. And I know that the Trek retailers were frustrated because they felt specialized was pumping money into mics to dominate the market. So you would get, you know, to me, to hear radio ads from a bike shop is sort of unheard of. But mm-hmm. on the radio in Northern California, you'd hear Mike's uh, ads the way you would hear, you know, the old Guitar Center ads, yes. you know, sort of like Sunday, 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 come on down, that sort of thing. So the there were a lot of um, shop owners who felt like the playing field wasn't level and that the scales were being tipped and uh there was a lot of frustration around that to now see mics and specialized breaking up. I, I mean, I don't, uh, I can't address any of the specifics because I don't know, certainly not even on a level that Rick uh, could pontificate. My gut tells me that specialized, you know, felt that they had invested a lot in the success of that franchise and, franchise that that chain and i can only imagine that they thought that they were in line for a different kind of relationship once like sold out yeah uh it it doesn't make sense to me just period i don't i don't get it uh i don't see how they make up that loss in visibility um, so it's going to be interesting to watch this. Uh, I don't think that the last act has been written in this. Um, you know, genuinely, <laughs> I, I'd like to see specialized figure out some way to continue a relationship with them. They make an awful lot of good bikes. Um, and Mike's is a really great retailer. They do a very professional job given some of the other retailers out there who people complain about. So this, this move doesn't make sense to me, uh, except at a very emotional level. And even that doesn't entirely make sense to me. So here's, here's uh, a third angle. Here's a third angle. Uh, a few years ago there was, well, basically when Canyon came into the market, there was a lot of talk uh, basically every company was figuring out a way to go direct to consumer. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it may be the case that specialized is like, you know, if we can't have preferential treatment in this market, then we want to sell direct in this market. And maybe they're looking at ways to, maybe this is part of, you know, the machinations around making that happen. It's a very, it's been a very, to me, could the consumer direct model is very much like the metric system. <laughs> it was this, this idea that pretty soon we'd all be buying our bikes directly from the manufacturer and it would be cheaper and it was going to be so great. And it hasn't really happened um, on a, a large scale. I think people still want to go see it and touch it. And there's still a lot of, you know, a bike is still on some level a complicated sale and service item. So it hasn't really happened yet. Uh, but I just wonder if this isn't 
part of the um, the the pitched battles that you don't see behind the scenes around channel channel makeup and how how they decide to get bikes to under people's butts. You have to be right at some level. The only question is how right you are. <laughs> you know? Yeah. 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 I mean, I don't they've know. done web only product introductions. Stuff yeah, that won't there's be been a at lot retailers. Of, right. There's been a lot of water testing. There's been mm-hmm. a lot of like, can we do this? Can we do that? Um, what works best? Um, there was a moment where people were, you know, the the big four were saying, we're doing it. Um, but they haven't done it on the level that is really doing it yet. Yeah. Um, yeah. And there's a whole big question then about what the role of the bike shop is once the manufacturers say, we're not going to sell bikes through you anymore, or at least not in the way that we have traditionally. And so margin is going back to the manufacturers and disappearing from the bike shop. And then what is the bike shop? To, you know, there's all of these these questions out there. And I just wonder if if dropping a 10 store, 12 store, sorry, 12 store chain isn't a way for specialized to say, all right, well, this is this is our lab now. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, we will know more soon. I hope Soon-ish. so. <laughs> yeah. Alrighty. Uh let's move on to the paceline picks. What's your pick this week? So this is gonna be a bit self-serving and ironic, but this week I'm picking the written word. <laughs> yeah. On a podcast, I'm doing that. <laughs> You're the guy who went there. Okay. Yeah. So someone told me recently that blogs are back. Hmm. As if as if they had gone anywhere, but like that people were like, I know that readers were now returning to blogs and um, I don't know whether that's personal blogs or corporate blogs or I don't even know. Um, So how do people this is a discussion you and I have all the time. How do people Mm want to consume content? Yeah. Is it changing fundamentally or is it just growing? In other words, are people like you and me? just learning how to make podcasts and videos or are what I'll call site users instead of readers, really not reading anymore in favor of listening or watching? Or is it that they want all of it? I don't, I, I don't have a definitive answer to that. Here's the thing. Podcasts and videos are great. And what they allow you to do is different than what you can do in a written piece. Yeah. Right. Yep. I've enjoyed learning how to podcast, still very much a work in progress, and to a lesser extent, thinking about how to make interesting videos, but definitely not something I'm naturally good at. But to me, okay, the written word is like, um, this is this is where the this whole little rant goes sideways. The written word to me is like a vinyl record, <laughs> right? So, so when you read, as when you listen to vinyl, the process is more active than passive. Mm, you agreed. engage with the you engage with the material more intentionally. You're not walking the dog and reading. You don't have a well-crafted piece of writing on in the background. You know, like I'm <laughs> background <laughs> yep. reading something, right? Like this is a this is a thing. And I think the rise of podcasts and video is about people just feeling too busy to sit down and read. Mm-hmm. Um 
I'm picking the written word this week because at root, I'm a writer, but my pitch for it is based more on the underlying benefits of reading. When you read, you slow down, think more deeply, you reflect more than you react. Reading asks more of you, but I'd argue it gives you more too. So recently, we shared with people that we'd be producing more podcasts. Mm -hmm. We had a few folks who were bummed out about that. They want to read. Yep. And those voices, although it was only a few, really stuck with me. I enjoy podcasting, obviously. And we do have some dynamic new stuff coming up in podcast format shortly. But I'm picking the written word uh, as the core of what I do, both writing and reading, but also as the most valuable, valuable part of my intellectual life. Possibly pseudo-intellectual. I'll leave that to you to decide. But... <laughs> Those things are at the core of how I evolve my ideas about the world. Mm -hmm. And it's not that I don't get any useful info information from podcasts and videos. It's just not the most compelling format for me in that regard. It's much more passive, much more throwaway, much more entertainment. That's okay. I can see that. Yep. Yep. So. I'm picking the written word. Normally at the end of our picks, we say we'll leave a link in the show notes to the product. This week, instead of doing that, I want to ask our listeners a favor. If you enjoy the Cycling Independent, share it with someone. Email a link to a friend. It could be to this podcast or to a written piece on the site. It doesn't matter. I ask you to subscribe all the time uh, because we don't get paid otherwise. But without spending a dime... You can help us out just by sharing what we do with a friend, just like you would pass a book that you really enjoyed to someone else. So that's mm -hmm. that's it for my pick for the week. Hmm. All right. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm I'm going to do something more traditional to, I love it. you know, counterbalance you. <laughs> I'm going with a product that I've actually previously reviewed, previously reviewed on RKP, but I don't think I've ever mentioned it here on the pace line. It's Yokozuna Housing. Uh, Yokozuna is one of a handful of brands that makes compressionless brake cable housing. So one of the strange things about cable-operated drivetrains and brake sets is that for close to 35 years, indexed shifting systems have used compressionless housing to make upshifts and downshifts consistent. For some reason, and I honestly don't know what, that never, ca that never caught on with brake systems. I've been hearing talk, hearing people talk about wanting better braking performance for their rim brake bikes so they don't have to sell a beloved bike and move to disc brakes. Well, Yokozuna is one way to actually do that. You can eke out better brake performance uh, with a set of their compressionless brake cables and housing. Um, a set goes for about 60 bucks, and you can compare that with Shimano, which is closer to 40 bucks at most retailers. Um, it's worth every penny. Um, so one of my rim brake bikes uh, by Mark Danucci features long reach calipers. And I went with those so that I could run a 35 millimeter tire on that bike, if only barely. Um, so long reach calipers flex a bit more precisely because of that long reach, those longer arms flex. Um, 
And with the Yokozuna housing, it makes it such that my Danucci stops just as well as any other rim brake bike I have ever owned. Um, I'm contemplating putting it on my Bishop with Durace just to see what that does. I think it might end up feeling a lot like disc brakes. <laughs> <laughs> so that's my pick. Uh, I'll have a link in the show notes. Alrighty, that's a wrap on another episode of The Pace Line. You got anything fun planned this weekend, John? I, I, I don't. I don't. I'm okay. going to continue. I'm going to ride bikes. You know, I'm going to ride bikes. That's what I'm going to do this weekend. Um, yeah. I'm going to hope the weather is even cooler than it is going to be tomorrow, that the summer is past, and that the leaves start drifting down from the trees in their, in their curious spirals. And uh, I smell wood smoke on the air and that all happens. But we'll see. What about you? <laughs> uh, I'm thinking I might go super, super short and easy on Saturday and see if I can't manage a mountain bike ride on Sunday. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The, the frustration in our mounting. Yes. Yeah. Uh, frustrations. I has them. Uh, all righty. <laughs> Before we go, I want to let you know about a new podcast John is producing along with Stevel Knievel of All Hail the Black Market. It's called Revolting. I don't think it is actually literally revolting. And I can say that because I actually listen to it because I'm the person who mixes it. Um, it is also true that it is not a cycling podcast in the traditional sense. Uh but it's a good listen. Uh, and as John mentioned, we've got some other new podcasts coming up. And I think in a week or two, we might have an announcement. So depends on how many people cooperate with my requests. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Alrighty, everybody, keep those questions coming. Uh, you send us great stuff. If you've got an idea, please drop by the Cycling Independent and put a suggestion in our comments. We hope you've enjoyed the show. And if you have, please leave us a good review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. It makes us easier for other listeners to find. Until next week, I'm Patrick Brady with John Lewis. Thanks for listening to The Pace Line.